great moments are born from great opportunity. Football is about controlling that anger, harnessing that aggression into a team effort to achieve perfection. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. We're finally here, Bubs. It's been a while, but uh, it's exciting. It's good. Good Episode stuff. Episode one, Colorado Coach Mutt Podcast. Excited and long overdue. It's exciting to be here with you, brother. And uh, let's kick stuff off. Yeah, no doubt, man. I, uh, I'm excited. I know our wives have kind of put us over the uh, the barrel and talked about it. We've been doing it for, I don't know, in the works for a couple months now, right, Jess? Yeah, for sure. It finally worked for our schedule and stuff, which is good. Yeah. Uh, on the way out here, it's like my wife was like, oh, you're actually doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's happening tonight, which is really good. Yeah. So episode one, uh, just... The Wrangler boys, yep. Richel Wranglers back in the day, right? 1994, the number one movie was Forrest Gump. The number one song was I'll Make Love to You. And two boys from the Richel Middle School walked into the halls and later on became great coaches in Colorado. I love it, man. It's crazy to think that, uh, A, we're that old. You know, that, that, <laughs> that's, that's, that's crazy. And uh, Forrest Gump was bumping back then. It's been a while, man. I'll Make Love to You was bumping back that then. That was, it was for sure. That's really good, man. So we're, you and I, right? So we grew up playing pal football. Um, I was a pal hawk. You were a Cardinal Redskins slash. Yeah. And one thing that I always tell people when we start talking about um, you and I and our relationship and everything, I always say this, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, is like you always bring out the best of me. I, when we're playing pickup basketball or when we're doing anything, I always want to. I was. I want to be on the opposite team of you. I love it because I want. I want to be my best and I want to go against the best. I, I totally agree, man. Like I know we started that rivalry probably third, fourth, fifth grade when we were competing against each other, but I felt the same way. You were always going to bring your best. There was always a little more added, whether it was pickup basketball or us playing in a Friday night lights game at the high school level. Um, so it was good. I remember uh, going to your house during middle school uh, to shoot pool. Yeah, and, uh, I remember and those days, yeah. we would just compete playing pool. It was anything. Anything. We never wanted to finish second, and you're right. It always strove to be the best. But I like that uh, that you were always up for it, man, yeah. no matter what it was. You can be like, I haven't picked up a basketball in five months, and you wanted to play against me, and we'd go get it. So yeah. it was good. A couple of unique things that we share. We are both quarterbacks and pitchers. Correct. Um, that part of my athletic career didn't start till I was like, 13 because I was always a chubby little lineman first, <laughs> first baseman I love it and then I, I stretched a little bit and then I became a quarterback and a pitcher but you were always a quarterback and a pitcher I remember playing I was playing against yeah, you yeah yeah I was always a skinny underfed kid and uh yeah but named Bubba yes named Bubba that the, the skinniest hundred hundred pound dude on the on the field but but yeah I was lucky and and you were good man like the teams you played on like the, the just from the pitcher standpoint quarterback standpoint yeah, you guys were always really good, and you were a big reason why. Yeah, uh, yeah. We got into middle school, and we ended up playing on intramural teams together. We did. Um, competing against our uh, friends at school and stuff like that, and I think that's where this whole this whole thing comes about is when we look back at kids in our neighborhood and and every and situations that we grew up in. Ultimately what's sad and what we want to change is the fact that we are the exception. We are not the rule. I agree with you totally. We talk about it all the time. Um, think about how important those intramural nights were though, right? Cause mm-hmm. I, I'm a hundred percent sure they, they had those on Friday night. They were always after school and it was so kids weren't getting in trouble, yep. but they just created a monster within us 
to compete, to strive to be the best. We wanted to be organized. We had that camaraderie inside of a gym rather than on a street corner. Yeah. And where we grew up, I think that was really influential on just small, a small intramural night like yeah. that. I remember, and I wasn't going to bring this up. We, brought, we talked about it before we started recording today, and I wasn't going to bring it up, but... A vivid memory I have of the the catch game, the, sure. the playoff game. That was yeah, year. catch. Or a vivid memory for a lot of people <laughs> listening, I'm sure. Yeah. And no, and, and we're gonna get if we get any comments about tonight's episode, it's gonna be about that. The catch, the, yeah. the catch. But um, going into that game, we had a teacher in school named Mr. Yamasaki, remember. science teacher. I remember him. Yes, I remember. Um, we both had the same science class, I believe, or we were standing around, but I think we had his class at the same time. Yep. And I remember him telling you, like, I'm going to go watch you. Yeah. And at that time, me being, like, kind of introverted, not putting myself out there, I kind of took it personal. Like, why are you going to go watch him? You know I'm playing on the other team, too. 100%. And then we get back, following the catch, following the weekend, the, the weekend's catch. activity. Yeah. And in class, and it was great. It was not, it was not your fault or anything, but I think it's a, a testament to how adults can influence kids without even knowing. 100%. He, uh, in front of class, brought you up or he said it out loud. Is like how amazing you played and, and, and went off and you did play an amazing game that night. But we got we I, took I was, it out. I was, Our team took it out. I was, yeah. I was kind of sitting back there like he still didn't know. I don't think he still knew that, that I was on the, that field. You were the rival quarterback. Yeah. No, I totally get it. And I'm glad. I mean, that's a story I never heard. But, yeah, yeah. to create a chip on your shoulder. But you were productive with your chip. Right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of people in, in our demographic and where we came from that, that took a chip a different route. You know? Yep. So. And take that chip and you get angry. Yeah. Last story about us. And then we'll, we'll get on with uh, the Wrangler boys and talking about us. You know, um, And this is, again, credit to our relationship 27 years, I, I, I keep saying that, it's crazy. 27 years, um, but there was a, uh, our senior year, no, it was our senior, our senior year in high school, I was okay. at Kennedy, you were at Lincoln, again, rivals, and I got in trouble uh, a couple weeks leading up to that game uh, from a school dance, well, that's another episode, we'll talk about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> those school dances, yeah. Um, and I was suspended, but my, my comeback date was scheduled for the Lincoln game. Correct. And if it, nobody knows, right, like, that game, that Lincoln-Kennedy rivalry game is a real rivalry game. It's not big because the teams aren't as successful, but, like, that game is huge. Oh, our, our communities were so close together. Like, leading up to that week, you weren't going to go, and we weren't going to eat lunch on your side of town because yeah. we know it could potentially be some, and vice versa. Yeah. You guys weren't coming to Federal Boulevard to, to grab lunch or anything like that. So yeah. it was big for our communities, big for all the, like, uh, you know, just non, non-football non athletes. It was it was a big, big game year-round, yeah. Round. yeah. But leading up to that game, um, you must have got word that I was suspended, and, and I, I think, and this is my perspective, I want you to elaborate on it, um, you came to my house and asked me, like, hey, are you going to play or what? And yeah. it was kind of just blunt like that. And I was like, I don't know. I know I'm eligible, but coach kind of not letting me play. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, for us, that establishes that res- respect that I've always had for you as a competitor and then later on now as a coach. But um, it was that was an important moment that I don't think you know about. I, yeah. No, I, I, I get it. I remember just getting word. And uh, my biggest thing is we always want to see the best. Yeah. Right. So my thing was, is like, man, like if we go out and 
<laughs> their best players aren't on the field regarding you. Mm. Like, there's always that limbo. And it was our last time playing against each other, yeah. essentially. Like, I knew I wasn't going to play collegiately or do anything like that. So I was pretty concerned. I remember swinging by, and it was probably unannounced and probably caught you off guard. <laughs> and I was just like, man, I need to make sure that he's going to get an opportunity because we had been friends and competing so long against each other. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that game meant something. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, I mean, luckily you got on the field and – and uh, yeah, it meant a lot knowing that that you'd be out there. And we have a bunch of friends tied into that that game, you know. But yeah. um, and I always thought about you when it came down to if I I go to you for everything baseball. Sure. And I, I my son it wasn't really into baseball over the, uh, the last season, and I, I would go to you like, hey, Bubs, he needs help with this. Yeah. And I get a clinic. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you I send one video, and we have a whole breakdown <laughs> yeah. for the month for him, which yeah. I which I think is and, good, man. And the the key thing, and the the reason part of the reason we're doing this, the key thing is it actually works because I trust you. Sure, I apply it, and my son starts to see results. Hundred percent. And so that's that's where we're going with this. Well, thing. I just think how lucky we are. Let's think about all our demographic of friends. Like you're the football guy, hundred percent. If mm -hmm. if my sons were interested in anything like that, I'm not going to speak a language or attempt to speak a language. You're going to be Uncle Jesse. You're going to take care of it. Yeah. You know, we got guys that are involved on the basketball side, right? Like yeah. how lucky are we to surround ourselves with individuals that we trust our kids with? Absolutely. That's not a common thing right now. No. You know, just just being around youth sports and athletics. That's the keynote is. Do I trust these adults with my children? And we're really, really lucky, Jess. Like yeah. I don't think we really talk about it as much as we need to, but we're we're a lucky group of uh, of friends that that do that. And when you think about it, and I, I send this message to every kid entering high school is like surround yourself with people. Yeah. And if you look at our group of friends, and if you look at us, we're all giving back to our communities in some way. We all we're all still involved in sports in some way. Yeah. And it's just it's no wonder why we're here a hundred percent yeah <laughs> just we're we're a lucky group and like you said we are um the exception yeah you know unfortunately not the standard and we want to change that that's what colorado coach Mup is all about that's we all want, it's about we right want to change man. it so we are not the exception we are the rule so let's talk jess we're going to talk about our coaching journeys i know we've all been through uh some different routes and, and roads but uh I'm excited to hear yours. I, I, I have a good background on yours, yeah. um, but talk to us about it a little. So, you know, anytime that I start talking about my journey and I give my, my story to anybody, it always starts with this. Number one, Jesse Hernandez, right? I'm from the, I call it the Federal Corridor. I was raised in the West Side, um, across street from Rudy Center, uh, moved in high school to the South Side, uh, Kentucky and Federal. And then we moved further south uh, as high school went, went along down to Federal and Dartmouth or um, Yale-ish. So I, I always tell people I was raised on the Federal Corridor and different times back then when we were growing up. But my journey and my, my journey to get to where I'm at right now always starts with one person and that's my mom. Um, I learned everything about sacrifice and hard work from my mom who was a single mother. We were raised in a one-bedroom house with six people living in it. And one thing that, and one of our friends pointed this out to me. He's like, your mom never makes excuses. Every time I see your mom, she's, <laughs> all, she's always smiling. Dude, all the time. <laughs> all the time. And she's always busy. She's active. Like, that, that is a blessing to have, man. And, and I, never, I never knew that until I started getting older, until uh, Andy actually pointed that out to me. And I really started to look at what my mom was doing. And she was working two jobs to get us out of my grandma's house. Um, to move from across street from Rudy Center to uh, Federal in Kentucky, right from sure. the Westwood, from the Sun Valleys to the Westwoods, 
So it was getting out of our neighborhood, but moving into another neighborhood. Sure. And she never made an excuse. She would go to work a full-time job in the morning, and she would come home. She would put dinner on the, on the table for me and my brother, and she would go back to work to work. Basically, another full-time job. It wasn't as full-time. It was more six hours than eight hours. Um, but she would just constantly do that. And that's where... And right now, my mom was like, you're working too hard, Neil. you're working too hard. I said, Ma, I learned it from the best. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> She's always busy, man. Yeah, and so a couple things with her is I always had love in my home, and I always knew that I was going to have food and shelter, and she was always going to be there at my games. She, with her busy schedule, I don't think there's a game that she ever missed, baseball, football, or basketball, or otherwise. She was supportive as can be, man. Mm-hmm. Even events at Ritual, I remember her always walking in and doing stuff. Yeah. Just supportive as can be. And I can't imagine what it was like for her, like with all the freedom that my brother and I had and um, yeah. because she was gone so much. But I think the biggest thing is we respected her so much and what she was doing for us. Like we were never too far off, you know. So that's number one. Like everything that I learned about hard work and never quitting, never making an excuse. We talked about that a lot. Like there's no excuse. There's none. You, the only, the only thing you do when things are bad is work, work harder. Yep. Just (laughs) work harder. Yeah. There's, and I, it gave me this crazy perspective. And, um, even sometimes people will tell me like, you're, you're so positive. And I'm like, well, like there's, I have a lot to be positive about. Hundred percent. Things and could have, yeah. Things could be <laughs> drastically worse on some of the things that you know yeah. you you take just with a grain of salt. Let's move on to the next. Yeah, we're just move on. Yeah. And then so the the second part of my journey is back in Pal, and I would I was fortunate to play for who I consider the goat. Yeah. And I know everybody has a youth coach that they consider the goat, and and I really think you know I'll, I'll go to I'll put the numbers out there for him, and I look at um, Dick Wathen, right? Dick Wathen taught us how to play the game he taught us but more importantly he taught us how to love the game sure and you know i now that i think about it and it's 30 years removed i i really have a hard time thinking about individual practices i have some some coachisms that i use that to this day right i'm coaching youth football and he used to do this funny thing with well how many fingers am i holding up sure and he would say one no no that's a thumb yeah no i get it (laughs) and and, and all the coaches do that stuff you remember all the time yeah but it but it wasn't just that it was the details and and the accountability that he taught us you know there was no there was no getting away with slacking off on on the practice field and i was fortunate because he was my coach from the time i was eight years old to the time i was 14 (laughs) that's crazy and, like just think of that in general mm-hmm. right now compared to now now like having a coach during that long time frame where the youth technically nowadays are just you know every bouncing. two years jumping shape yeah. i don't like this he was too structured like you had a really structured coach yeah um dick up in that area you know sloan's lake area was a legend man yeah. like so many kids so many generations of kids let's yeah. think about that like probably your brother if he was in, incorporated i'm sure nephews nieces after you he, yeah. he was around for the longest time he was and what, what I look at now is how many of his former pupils, his former athletes, are coaching now. And, there's there's and, a lot of them. And there's a lot of them. And, and not terrible coaches either. There's, sure. I mean, there's a couple out there that, yeah. that are questionable, you know. But a, a lot of his former players became coaches, and that's a testament to him. That's his legacy. And I hope if he ever hears this, I hope he understands. I've told him personally, face-to-face, yeah. how much he's meant to me. Him and uh, his son became one of my best friends as we were growing up. He was my best friend. I would spend lots of time at their house and just being around that family and him opening his house and showing me things like, wow, you you guys have this? You know, and like it just opened my eyes to a different world 
And I'm forever grateful to him and to that family. But I was, again, fortunate to play for a coach who did it the right way. Yep. And we're going to dive into what the right way means, but he did it the right way. I agree with you. He, he definitely did. But as I moved on, right, Little League can't last forever as long as, as much as we wish it yeah. would. My first ever coaching experience came when I broke my hand in um, high school. My sophomore year, we were having an undefeated season on the JV team. I broke my hand hitting a sled. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I was sidelined for the rest of the year. We were 4-0, 5-0 at that time. Wow. So I didn't able to finish. But we used to do this thing called the freshman junior game. I remember that. Or the, the sophomore junior game. And Coach Ensminger, he let me coach the sophomores. Sure. And I, I just loved it. It was my first indoctrination into coaching and I just had a really great time with it so that was my first breakthrough into coaching and then kind of got a taste of it say yeah. hey you know like you're still playing but mm -hmm. you you visited it and had some success I'm sure yeah absolutely and so senior year I I vividly remember having this thought I am done with football sure. I am done playing football and not that I had scholarships coming down, but I, I vividly remember walking onto the practice field thing, and I can't wait till this is over, yeah. and I'm done after this. But sports, especially for us, give us so much hope and opportunity that I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know who I was without it. Sure. And so on a whim, I got into college. A, a counselor um, made me apply to U University of Northern Colorado. I got in by the skin of my teeth. And the very first thing that I did when I got onto college campus, because I had work study, um, um, work, I was, I got work study so I could go work and to help pay for my tuition yeah. and stuff. Boys and Girls Club was there. I was a kid from the Boys and Girls Club. Love it. Yep. I went to the Boys and Girls Club and I said, hey, I want to coach and I want to work with the Boys and Girls Club. Love it, man. So at 18 years old in Greeley on the University of Northern Colorado campus, I was coaching nine and 10 year olds. Yep. And I was coaching just like Dick coached us yeah you, that's all you really knew right <laughs> yeah, it's all I yeah, knew. you're fresh out of it and that routine and that structure you talk about legacy man like how important that is to be around positive people yeah because you see some guys that have some different structure and yeah. those legacies are are funky legacies you know and and it's a legacy nonetheless right like, it is and and we'll we have a whole episode on this but that that quote that says a coach will have an impact more impact on a on more people in one year than a person will have in a lifetime it's true. is 100% true. Yeah. What's the but, though? There's a ton of them. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's like, that impact, right? Yeah. Like, what impact you have on them. It could be a bad impact. Yeah, absolutely. And that impact can last that athlete the rest of their life. Exactly. And I think that's a big part of why we have this podcast going on. It's yeah. just it's just trying to give some tidbits and stuff um, on improving that yeah. process. And so coaching 9- and 10-year-olds, coaching where we had success, whatever success you, you want to call success, right? But... What really changed for me is when I be started to become a physical education teacher. And at that time, University of Northern Colorado had the best physical education program in the nation. It was cutting edge on what they were doing as far as skill development, sure. um, uh, kinesiology. Like They were cutting edge on physical education. And so that part, learning how to teach a skill from people who dedicated their lives to learning how to teach a skill carried with me. Sure. And then I had a professor who did his dissertation on Bobby Bowden. Now, any of my coaches that are out there right now, they're going to say, oh, here comes the Bobby Bowden stuff. Yep. <laughs> he, did, he did his dissertation on Bobby Bowden. This was like... Your professor did. My professor did. Got it. And this is 2003, 2004. It was right around the time Bobby Bowden had just become the winningest coach in college football yep. history. In his dissertation, he asked Bobby Bowden, he said, how much do you know about football? 
What do you think Bobby's, Bobby Bada's response was? Uh, he's a smart guy, so he probably said not as much as you think or something similar to that, right? Right. He's, he said, I know 40% of what there is to know about football. Sure. This is the winningest coach in college football history. National championships, been coaching for 40 years. And it just stuck with me because if here I was, and I was 20 at the time, 21 at the time, and I thought I knew everything about there was yeah. to know about football. I knew, I knew everything. And because I'm a learner, like I, I love to learn new things, I heard that, and it's always stuck with me. If Bobby Bowden is saying, I know 40% of what there is to know about football, and who the hell am I to say no, that I, I know everything? It. Yeah. I, and that, that thought, that quote, that dissertation just happened to be there, has stuck with me ever since. And I have never, ever been satisfied with what I've known, what I've accomplished, or anything. I'm always looking to learn more. That's that's a great part of the journey, though, man. Yeah. It's like being hungry, able to evolve, and always wanting to absorb, right? Yeah, I, that's it. You got to want to absorb. Yep. So get done with college. Um, I was kind of burnt out on teaching, so I got a job at the Boys and Girls Club. This was more a full-time job. Um, and when, the, the biggest takeaway that I took from the Boys and Girls Club is, number one, amazing kids amazing kids I, I if i if i could have made a living working in the boys and girls club i would have never left yeah because i loved those kids that much and they needed me that much but the, i got i got an opportunity to coach every sport under the sun yeah which i think is key too <laughs> yeah i think that's awesome right yeah. you were able to get challenged and had to communicate in different lingos with with different sports that you played i think that's key to coaching yep and i got to experiment because it wasn't a lot of pressure, right? I got to experiment with all the things that I learned in college about teaching skill, about teaching strategy. I got to experiment and I just kind of rolled things out there and saw what stuck and then learned from the things that didn't. And that was those two years were like flat out the, a great foundation for me it's to like the crash off. course, right? Mm -hmm. That was the crash trial and error. This worked, this didn't. You kind of were molding how you were able to talk to the athletes, right? Yep. What yep. you able to do, how you challenge them, you know? Yep. So I left, right, um, because student loans kick in, sure, <laughs> and no, I wasn't I making, yeah. I wasn't making enough money to to. Boys and loans. Girls Club, we got to do better. They, we got to do, do better. They we got to do better. Because if you're listening to anybody in the Boys and Girls Club, because you have amazing people that want to do right for the kids who need it the most. It's true. The kids who need it the most, and you have amazing people in that organization who are willing to do it, and you got to do right by your people. Hundred percent. So I left because I couldn't make a living. At the Boys and Girls Club, I wanted. I was at the time, she wasn't my wife then, but I was thinking about proposing to my wife, you know, and I, and that comes with, you know, providing and, yeah. and doing that. And I just wasn't making enough money. I couldn't buy her a cheap uh, engagement ring. Sure. So in 2009, I went back to Kennedy, and the best thing that happened to me when I went back to Kennedy was uh, the coaching staff there put me completely outside of my comfort zone. I was going in as in my mind, an offensive genius. Yeah, yeah, you, you thought you knew it all, right? <laughs> Quarterback coach and uh, head coach at the time was Rich Martinez, and he said, you're going to be the C-team defensive coordinator. You're like, what? And me, What did you say? <laughs> me, yeah, I'm, hum I'm, I'm humble, so I, went, I wanted to be there, so I knew I was going to be a volunteer. I knew I was going to have to put in the work, yeah. and, but I wanted to do it at, on the offensive side. But he put me on the defensive side, and I got really, really lucky to sit up and was and feed off of Jesus Escobedo, who's the head coach at Denver North right now. He was the defensive coordinator at the time, and I got to be his right-hand man, and he showed me defense. Sure. 
which in turn, if for all you guys that are offensive guys out there, learn defense because it'll make you a better offensive guy. That's the thing about it, right? Is being able and open-minded to do something you're not comfortable with. Yeah. And I think that's key because we talk to the athletes about that all the time, but it starts with us essentially, right? If we can do it, we're going to have a little more comfort in making sure the athletes can do it. Hell yeah. Uh, and it, like you said, it, it's a demonstration of who you want everybody else to be. Like, I, I may need you, for, just using football as an example, right? You're my starting fullback, yeah. and nobody runs a fullback anymore, but I did. when we, we, You're my starting fullback, but my guard is down. I need you to play guard. 100%. That's a, that's a selfless act that you have to do, and if I'm not being selfless myself, then... That kid's going to be less. Yeah, it's, to do it's it. hard to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's hard to. Tr- like, my thing is the whole confidence thing. If the coach has confidence and put me anywhere you need me, I think the kids are going to kind of absorb that and reflect that also. Yep. So, teaching back 2009, 2007, we were just coming out of the recession and nobody was hiring except for Lincoln High School. Lincoln. Shout out to the Lancers, yep. <laughs> Shout out to the Lancers. Yeah. I, I can say that because yeah. I was there. <laughs> I, I can play both sides a little bit right now. But uh, Lincoln was hiring because they're just coming off the two state championships in basketball, and the, the the students were busting out the seams. Yeah. And I was looking for a teaching job. I quit the boys and girls club to make more money, and I was like without a job. Yeah. And I always say like Lincoln chose me. I didn't choose Lincoln, and it was just a, a happy place. It wasn't happy at first when I first got there because I didn't want to be there. Sure. Just straight up, like that was Kennedy, that was Lincoln. Like I, 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 I didn't, it. I don't want to be there. Yeah, the rivalry, all <laughs> I, that stuff. I, 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 descri- all that. I described it as like I would walk into Kennedy and the heavenly gates were open, it was like, oh, <laughs> and I walk into Lincoln, and it was. <laughs> rah, rah, yeah, you're rah, like, rah. oh man, we're in that polo. <laughs> yeah. whatever. you're like, oh. But the again, co- the head coach at that time at Lincoln was Larry Guile, who what I learned most from him was to love your players. Yeah. And it's not about you. It's about the kids. Yep. It's it's not about your record at the end of the day. Your You got the win. It's not about that. It's about your impact on these kids and what they are going to do in their future. Yep. So I, I took that away from uh, Larry Guile at that time. And then fast forward two years after that, 2011, I became the head coach. And I had no business being the head coach. How old were you? I was uh, 27. I was the youngest head football coach in the state of Colorado wow. at that time. It was a 5A program. We were playing against teams that we had no business on the field with. And and I'll say this, uh, honestly, I had no business being a head coach. But I, I will say this, that Lincoln got lucky because they had somebody who was willing to learn. 100%. And I think that's another, another point right there. Like you just stating that just shows how humble and – driven you are right because there's not a lot of people with confidence i would say that yeah you would have like some guys would have took the route like oh i put in my work i was an assistant and they knew i was the right guy for the job yeah like essentially they probably knew you cared for the kids you were in a good position to take it but i'm sure like you said we we're probably like whoa what's going on here you know <laughs> yeah. like but i think that's really humble that you say that yeah. and a big part of why you're successful is because of that Thank you. Yeah, I no, it's, it. it's the truth, man. Yeah. yeah, like that's there's not a lot of coaches that do yeah. that. Like I think one thing that I always thought, you know, going every year to Lincoln, I always tried to see how much better we can get. A, a big thing that I would gauge the program is when alumni would come back and they're like, "Oh, why didn't we get to do that?" I love it because I would I felt that I was providing an experience experience for the kids. Now we had, I did the calculations in the eight years that I was the head coach there. 85% of our kids never played football before they got to high school. Wow. 85%. And the ones that did, and this is another reason we're doing this podcast, the ones that did were so 
They were fed that they were the greatest thing sure. on earth so much, and they had no discipline, they had no accountability, yeah. and they would fizzle out. I get it. We, we talk about neighborhood legends. Like, mm-hmm. we can bring up that. The best you know, player at the bus stop. Best player that's, yeah, exactly, because they were fed that for so long. Yeah. And essentially, they probably were the best, but without structure, guidance, all that type stuff, which is extremely important, yeah. you know, they're, they're at the bus stop. And it's perspective, right? Like, as a youth coach, I feel like you're – your job should be, right, number one, care, protect, teach them the game. Number two, prepare them for the next level. 100%. And if you're not telling your youth kids that, A, practice is every day. Yep. And, and mom and parents too, right? Yeah. Pra- practice is every day. Um, you're not going to start varsity right away. And if you got a coach telling you that you are going to start varsity right away, they're lying to you. 100%. Unless you're at a small school. But right. It, 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 we'll get... I'm gonna go off on a tangent already, and we, we've got we're only on episode. No, it's one, good. I, I love get it. Through. That's good. That's good. <laughs> but um, Lincoln, that that time period, that piece of my life, those eight years where I was the head coach, I will cherish forever, and it was the most important part of my being who I am today. Good. Every single one of those kids that came across, we didn't always get along, but I I feel. And one thing that I regret is that I wasn't more vocal about the good things that we were doing yeah. in that program because I'm maybe sometimes overly humble. you overly <laughs> humble or sometimes you just get that tunnel vision, eye on yeah. the prize, right? And we don't really absorb or reflect during the process. And yeah. I think that's common for a lot of coaches, though. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't stay long enough at Kennedy to really have a mentor and to learn from those coaches over there, except for Jesus, right? Yeah. And we stayed in touch. But at... Um, at Lincoln, it was the same thing. I didn't really have a mentor. Um, so I was learning as I was going. Yeah, you're learning on the fly. And you're learning on the fly, and you're learning without resources. So I'm learning to be a head coach, but I don't have the stipends to pay an offensive coordinator and a defense coordinator and an aligned coach, right? Yeah. So I got to be one of those things. Yeah. So naturally, I, I gravitated towards the off- offensive side of the ball. And um, Coach Edgar Lay, who's a legend at Denver West High School, happened to be at Lincoln. And he served. He was teaching, right? He was a dean at the time at Lincoln. Yeah. And he served as a mentor to me because um, he w- he was on my staff, but he was the only one with head coaching experience. And yeah. so I would just feed off, and I would ask him this and that. And I, did I always agree with him? No. Um, and but it was a good angle. Yeah. Right. You're able to bounce some stuff off of people, and that's the thing. Like with building staffs, you don't want ten you. No. Right. That's the thing about it. A lot of guys are like, "Oh, we get along real well." Well, that's good to an extent, but like, I want it where I'm challenged with my coaching staff with different ideas, and the kids, especially at the high school level, take onto that pretty well. Also. Yeah. So it's good that you said he may have had some differential, but I'm sure it made you better, and it made the program better because of that. Essentially, yeah. Eventually, it did. You know, we we would disagree disagree on. Um, philosophical things like should the kids be able to cuss right right like things like that and not that i think the kids should be able to cuss but i don't want to spend my energy worrying about if the kid's cussing or not that, right. that we we were fighting and up pushing a boulder uphill right and the last thing i wanted to do was worry about whether the kid said fuck totally, or not totally get, it. totally get it yep but it does bother me no yeah no yeah it's something we don't yeah, yeah. You're, you're picking and choosing your battles yeah right? yeah so what I'll, what I'll say, and I'll say it now, what I'm most proud of, and the measuring stick for Lincoln has always been Kennedy, the Kennedy game. Yeah. We beat Kennedy three of the last five years we played him. Oh, wow. Yeah, so those are huge games. No other coach at Lincoln has ever done it. Yeah. And we're very proud of it, and we beat him the last two seasons right before I stepped down. Yeah. And the reason I stepped down, I was, I was going to get into this a little bit, but I had kids, 
Um, back in 2014, my son Philip was born, and it was the scariest moment in my life. And I, and I mean that humbly, but was like, <laughs> I, I didn't have a dad, right? Yeah. Every man that had come into my life, with the exception of Dick Wathen, yeah. um, and a couple others, had always disappointed me. Have always had always, especially men who looked like me, right? Sure. Like especially Latino men. Yeah. Where it, it took me hard a, a long time to build trust and learn that. So me not growing up with a dad and knowing how I wanted to be as a dad, sure. but like the reality was right there. It was there. It's here. You got <laughs> yeah. a kid. Yeah, like, it's here. There's no going there's back a, There's now. a baby right there. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, I, I, on my way to work one day, right before Philip was born, I pulled over and I called my mom and I was like, mom, I'm scared. Yeah. Like I, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And my mom being my mom, she said, let's, let's just pray about it. That's cool. And so we, so we, so we prayed. So awesome, and, um, but like that, that was the, the scariest moment in my life. People always ask me, like, we've had guns flash before us. And we've been shot yeah, at. And stuff. Like, like being stuff. a father was the scariest thing in my life because that's that's my dude, right? Yeah. You, and you know it as a father. So 100%. Getting to 2018, I was starting to struggle with not being home. Daddy issues. And we'll get into daddy issues. Yeah. I, I was really struggling with not being home with them. Because I was spending so much time with other people's kids. Right. And I would tell my coaches this all the time. I, the moment, the kids at Lincoln deserve to be, they, they need more, they deserve more. Yeah. Right? We, they need more of our time. They need more of our attention. We're not always going to be coached. You have a, a, the best line that I've always said is you've never coached until you've coached in the inner city. It's a different, yeah. And some, some, there were some days where I was coached and I was just coached. But there were other days where I was, I was father. I was I was your brother. Like yeah, I was, you were a counselor. You were, um, you know, uh, everything across the board besides coach. Yeah, and and that was the role, and I love that role. But I would tell our coaches, as soon as you can't do that, as soon as you are unwilling to give that much, it's time for you to go coach somewhere else because yeah. there's not every place needs that. Right. But they, those kids at Lincoln did need that, and I was getting to the point where I was rushing out of the office, you know, um, trying to get home to my kids just to kiss them goodnight. And the guilt was killing me. The guilt, the guilt was eating me up. And so I, I didn't want to, but I think, and my wife never would have told me to leave. And she never, those words never came out of her mouth. She was like, she never said. She's I, as supportive as can be during it. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I would get home and, and see the struggle on her face. And I would just like that, that was eating me up. And because I didn't have my dad around, I didn't want my kids to be without their father. So I made a decision to leave, and it led me to the position I am now, which is um, an athletic director. And I think the coolest thing about being an athletic director is I've learned that the kids, the parents whose kids play golf and who are on the in the band and um, do cross country, are just as proud of them yes. as the parents from the football team and the basketball team. And that's an angle we had never seen, right? right. We'd never been around. No. It was a completely, not, like, I don't want to say a different culture, but just a culture we were not a part of. Right. Yeah, and you get to, you get to see all of that spectrum now. And it's special. It, it, I, I love to see it. Um, the, the hard part is society tells us it's football, football, basketball, basketball, baseball, baseball, right? Yeah. So I, in my role, I have to really be conscious about honoring those other athletes from the other sports. That are not playing those. I think the best thing or the coolest thing, though, is uh, is probably your coaches that are under you because you have you've been in the trenches as a coach. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's very special. Like me working through some public school systems and doing some stuff with athletic directors. 
you always knew the special ones because, to be honest with you, and not to say like I've ever had bad ones, but they were coaches prior, right? So they knew exactly, um, you know, where you were coming from when you when you. I'm sure you get some problems, and you're mm-hmm. like, I've already been there, done that, man. Here's a route you should take, or here's what you should do. So very very lucky for those coaches that are able to to talk to you daily, man. Yeah, very very good. Well, speaking of your journey. Let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, again, I'm Bubba Medina. Um, Daniel Medina, everyone knows me as Bubba. I've been uh, I've been coaching multi-sports for a long time, um, but I guess what I've really had my niche in is baseball. Um, so I graduated in 2001, and I was able to play a couple years of junior college baseball. Um, and we talk about, like, you mentioned your reflection of, like, I want to get involved, and there was just a point. My biggest thing that I made a promise with to myself and also and also talking to God, which was, you know, some I did daily trying to get out was I want if I'm awarded an opportunity to play at the highest level, I promise I will go back and help inner city kids um, with their journey. And I made that promise. Now, when I made that promise, I didn't put a time frame on it. And, uh, you know, I got into coaching right after junior college baseball. I was lucky. Like we talked about some mentors and leaders. My father was a longtime coach, coached me all through the youth um, pal and then was uh, coaching at Abraham Lincoln High School on the softball and baseball side. Um, so when I finished college, my dad was the head baseball coach at, at Lincoln High School and uh, I kind of had a place to come back to. Um, we talk about joining staff and kind of the same mentality you had. Like I played college. I know it all type stuff. I had no idea what I was getting into coaching. Right. We always we always have the saying like, you know, coaching and, and, and playing are completely two different worlds. Absolutely. And that hit me directly Absolutely. in the face um, with getting back. Right. I can show or demonstrate. But how do you speak that in a couple different lingos for the athletes to retain that. And uh, I was in a good spot to do that. Um, you know, Lincoln was was a dying program. I think I got back at one level. We probably had 18 kids. I, I can picture the team picture in my head. And, uh, you know, my dad took over a program that was really, really tough, man. Yeah. You know, it, we were going through the changes of, you know, this was 02, 03. So, you know, the flux, Kennedy's enrollment was really, really big. Um, you had the Sheridan School District. A lot of things were happening. Um, but it was a good spot to get my feet wet, try some ideas, and do some stuff. Um, so I came back, and I'm like, cool. I got it over with. You know, I made my promise to God. I made my promise to myself. Um, and what really started my fire with coaching was that fall, um, we got fired. Mm. So we got fired at Lincoln High School. I still remember it to the day. The athletic director calls my father after my dad had just finished his one and only year as a head coach, finally had a good supportive staff, had off-season programs going, um, brand new athletic director, brand new principal. Um, they came in and just said, hey, uh, we don't think you guys can lead the program the route we want to go. Mm. And I was clipped. I was completely like, oh, my gosh, you got to be kidding me. Like, I just got out of college. I uh, had, you know, my buddy Andy Aguirre helping out. We were doing off-season stuff, had 30, 40 kids. Um, so I needed to see it in person, man. And I, and I was a fiery guy. I remember going down to the athletic director office and he kind of gave me the, it wasn't my choice. It was the principal's choice. So we steamrolled right down to the principal office. And, uh, I specifically look at it. Um, it's, uh, you know, vivid in my mind. Um, but Mr. Mendelsberg looked over and said, I don't think you guys can lead this program. Wow. And the minute he said that, man, it just started a fire that 20 years later is burning in me. Um, so within a three-week time you, frame, yeah, thank you, Mr. Mendelsbold, Hans Kaiser, all you guys, man. You guys right there, I hope uh, you guys are watching some collegiate games because I probably wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for somebody telling me no. Yeah. You know, I could have had every opportunity to badmouth, shame, say I, I'm not coaching because of this or that, uh, but we just put our 
put our nose down and we start working harder. Uh, within a three-week time frame, my dad was hired as the head baseball coach at Jefferson High School. Uh, Jefferson High School demographic, guys, is 95% uh, free or reduced lunch. Um, it's located up off of 20th and Pierce, and we were taking over a program as the fifth coach, fifth head coach in five years. Ooh. So um, kind of late opportunity. We go. <laughs> we're already fired up, and uh, – I remember just being on the corner. My dad goes into the interview and he comes out and I'm like, how'd it go? And he's like, we already got the keys. Like, we're ready to go. And yeah, seriously. So I'm like, oh, man. We go to our first practice, you know, and uh, we have a good group of kids, um, challenge group of kids. But uh, but I was into it, man. I was really diving in towards that. Um, you know, long story short, um, that, that team hadn't made a, a postseason tournament in three decades and uh, in 2008, which still the number one team I've ever coached, um, or in 2009, um, we qualified for a district playoff. So I was able to coach at Jefferson High School for nine years. Um, this, the Saints, if I did wow. not have that experience, I would have never been able or had the courage to promote, um, never been able to find myself as a coach. Um, but just some really good years, and that's inner city, guys. Like 95% yeah. free reduced lunch. We had no amenities, no batting cages, none of that. We were playing in a, a really, really tough league. Uh, state champions were rolled out. Ralston Valley, Golden High School, all those guys were in our league, and uh, and, and we held our own, which was cool. Um, yeah. My background, just being team sports, um, I sold a lot of athletic apparel to Colorado Academy High School. So demographic Colorado Academy. Uh, <laughs> opposite. Yeah, <laughs> complete opposite. $25,000 annually. Um, we're talking... Um, kids of senators, lawyers, uh, Pat Boland's kids went to CA. Um, just to give like a background of that, I'm selling athletic apparel there, and uh, their baseball coach is like, "Hey, man, like I've seen what you've done over there. Do you ever think about it?" And I'm like, "No, oh, man, I never would really think about it, you know." And uh, about two months later, he, he hits me up and he's like, "Yeah, hey, I need some help, and you know, I think you can help out the program." So. I tell my dad, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm going to try it. You know, it's yeah. right down the street. Um, and, uh, you know, if we were able to work some miracles at, at Jefferson, let's let's attempt it here. And I wanted to challenge myself just knowing two diff different demographics, yeah. right? Let me – I don't want to derail no, you're you, fine. but let me ask you a question. Like, what – if you can narrow it down, right? We know resources and things like that, but what is the difference? I think that's a question that everybody that coaches in the inner city is like, can yeah. I do this in the, in the suburbs or – hundred percent. What What's – What's the difference, or what would you say to a coach who's asking that? I honestly would think, like, in the inner city, the kids didn't know what they were missing because they never had it, mm. right? So, like, that was my thing, is that Jefferson, we never complained about what we didn't have or what other schools had because they never had it, right? Yeah. And it, at the private side, um, I just think those kids um, needed a little tough love. You know, and I had already had to deliver that for nine years over here, right? So they needed that. They needed to hear no or no, we're not going that route. This is how we're doing things. A little more structure is what I felt was my success at Colorado Academy. Um, so I wouldn't have been able to have those skills or that lingo if I if I hadn't mastered it at Jefferson. So I took the job over at CA and uh, same scenario, you know, baseball program was, it was different there, guys. They're getting grades. So, like, it is a class for baseball, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, a class. So, I'm the you know, end of the school year, I'm putting pass or fail of, you know, baseball. We had two levels, great families, great experience, great kids. Um, but my biggest thing is I always wanted to do off-season workouts, right? So, you know, summertime, I wanted to play 35-game schedule. I wanted to play fall. I knew I would get headbutted the first time I uh, said, hey, guys, here's a 35-game schedule, custom. I had a kid come up and say, we got a vacation home in Pensacola. We're gone. 
I had another kid say, hey, coach, I got a, this is a true story. I had a 4.3 GPA coach. My family's going to allow me to tour with my favorite band. They're going to let me go to five states. So I'm looking at it like, man, I'm trying to do all I can because I want to see the success on the wins and losses side. Right, right. But it's the demographic of people that I'm dealing with, like how much they're invested in the sport that I was literally dedicating my life to, right? Yeah. You know, like that year round, you're a head coach, it's completely different. Um, but that experience there, I, as so I became the head coach. After my first year as an assistant, I became the head, lasted three more years there, same thing, had a ton of success, made postseason first time in two decades for that school. Um, but I liked how I was able to navigate. I was, um, at the time a 26, 27-year-old Hispanic, youngest coach in the state, and I was coaching at a private school where they were paying 25000 a year. So I took that, like, as a notch in the bow, like, hey, man, if I can do this, I can really coach anywhere. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not going to matter my age, my race, none of my background's really going to matter because I'm doing successful things here, and they're so appreciative of it. Yeah. Athletic director, everything great there, um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to take it to the next level. Um, so big school baseball came around. Um, I was able to, uh, I, so um, I was able to grab the job over at Chatfield High School. Uh, Chatfield, uh, you know, we're talking demographics. Um, Chatfield's a 4A school, football, everything else, baseball plays 5A. 95 kids out at every high school tryout for baseball. So 95, you're making 15 to 20 cuts a year. Oh, man. And uh, those kids that you're cutting have been playing baseball since they're five years old. So completely <laughs> spectrum. We're talking kids that didn't own gloves kids whose you know family probably made the gloves and were the CEOs <laughs> of the glove company now to every kid wants to play collegiate baseball in a big school baseball program so um you know everyone's like man you're crazy you're making a ridiculous amount coaching at Colorado Academy and at the time you know the the era of big school baseball was you don't want to go to Chatfield so I, I you don't have to play this back when I read this stat I took the Chatfield job and I was the fifth coach in four years so you can do the math. That means in the middle of a year, a coach was ousted and an interim coach had to take over. So everyone's like, man, you are crazy. Like, um, but I was at the time. You know, I felt what I bottled up and I was doing on the baseball field could be done at any capacity. And it was a challenge for me. You know, I was like, man, if I'm able to do it here and here, can I do it at the highest level? And uh, I took the job. Um, so I took the position there and... Uh, I was able to bring, think about it, like we talk about staffs and stuff, I was able to bring 10 of my own coaches in. So there are four levels, freshmen, sophomore, all paid. All paid coaches, like unreal. Like finances, when I got to Colorado Academy, Chatfield, finances were never an issue. Any upgrades, any field amenities I needed, we would would absolutely have. Parents worked a really good amount um, to to make that happen at both those schools. But, uh, But that route of just seeing all of those particulars. And I felt I was at the top of the food chain when I was at Chatfield. You know, we get in there in 2018, my first year there, we win league. Uh, All four levels win league, first time in school history. So I not only felt good about what I was producing, but I felt good about all the coaches and what I was bringing to the program. You know, create that instant family vibe. Um, And, uh, you know, 2018 is a really good year. 2019 is a good year. Um, 2020 hits. So 5A program, I have... 10 seniors on my 2020 team uh eight of the 10 are signed to play collegiate baseball already we're talking early signing we're talking two months before COVID hits and uh and then COVID hits you know so i'm at a big school baseball COVID hits jefferson county for some reason is the only county that completely bangs everything yeah like uh i'm talking we're getting emails we don't want our weight room hit we don't want anybody anywhere and i know now with COVID happening it eventually got to everywhere 
but we were the the most um, you know locked down county you can think of because I can tell you Douglas County was still playing games and doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. So it kind of derailed our program, off season workouts, all that type stuff. I was like, man, it took me three years to build this up. Um, and, you know, I'm going to have to start from stage one. And when I say stage one, we're talking club baseball. So club was just gobbling all these athletes up. All my kids stood in-house. They were playing summer there, fall there, everything. Um, and they just derailed. So I'm like, man, if I'm going to be top tier, I'm going to have to get all these kids back. It's going to be three or four years. Um, and during that time frame, during COVID, um, I had some connections at Metro State University. Um, so they had a job opportunity open. They had a coach retire or resign because of COVID, an yeah. older gentleman. Um, and they kind of put it out there like, hey, we're looking for a coach. And I was like, ah, you know, one year out the other type stuff. And when it really got developed that high school would be out a while, um, they called and, you know, we had some conversations and I ended up reaching out to the head coach and uh, applied and, uh, you know, got the job over at Metro State University. Um, so, you know, when I look back and reflect a little, every position I had was just a level up opportunity, right? Yeah. It wasn't like a even or it wasn't like a diver. It was just opportunities that essentially landed in my lap and I would be a fool to say no to. You know, being under 40 years old, yeah. um, having a supportive wife, which is the only way any of that journey would have happened. Um, but I, I had to take those opportunities. Do you, when you look back, and, and you just said you don't regret because it was a, it was a vertical move, right? It wasn't right. lateral move. But when you look back, do you ever think about like what could have been at CA or, or Jefferson? And yeah, no, I think about all of that dynamic, but I also think about if I would still be around the game. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's my thing is like when what when is enough? Yeah. Like when is enough? Like is it a state championship? Is that what like I was never a guy chasing trophies. I was a guy just trying to mold lives and adjust individuals and then I really got into trying to get different cultures with that if that yeah. makes sense, yep. you know? I wanted to go get the Jefferson kids that were on that area and then go attempt the CA kids and then attempt the kids that were trying to play Division One baseball. I think one of the coolest things you did at Chatfield, and I, I absolutely love this, is when you brought the Chatfield kids to the Boys and, Owen Boys and Girls Club to do community service over there. Yeah, it's just giving back. Off-season stuff like that. When I said that family atmosphere, it was absolutely like, it was that yeah. for sure. Imagine that. You know, the Chatfield kids had probably never been off of Federal in Kentucky in their life. Yeah. But they never have. And they were walking the Westwood Projects, handing food baskets off. You know, that was uh, something to this day that I know they're still active with, even though I'm not there, just because of what it reflected for the program, but for those kids. Yeah. Like, you know, making a smile during that time for families was awesome. Uh, but, yeah, so I'm. Uh, this is my third year over at Metro State University. Um, we've had um, a ridiculously good two years there. Yeah. We just uh, qualified this past year for our first regional appearance in school history. You guys won league? Is that what? So we won a, a postseason league tournament, the RMAC. Okay. So we were able to go down to Mesa and uh, first time that we've ever won an RMAC championship in school history also. Tell me tell me about this place because I remember, and this place I'm, I'm talking about, the play ball academy facility yeah. here. Because I remember when this was Slammers, yep. when we were growing up, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's nostalgic to be here doing this here at this place with you because, again, here we are. From Alameda and T Home, yeah. right? The the projects and every everything that we grew up in, right? From government cheese to this is yeah. Bubba Medina's facility. Tell me how this came to be. Um, so about so it was during my years at Colorado Academy. Um, I was coaching basketball there, and I had an assistant basketball coach, Kurt Sims, and we were kicking some ideas of like, 
man, like during the winter time for baseball, we don't really have a spot. So yeah. we were like waiting until nine o'clock at night after basketball was done in order to hit and do stuff. I was like, man, if there was ever an opportunity in this area, it would be a perfect spot. Um, so these buildings, uh, this 18,000 square foot unit was uh, was vacant. Um, Colorado Christian University baseball program was a month to month lease here. And uh, they finally put a big four lease sign on it. And I passed by one day and I said, I used to be slammers, you know, yeah. something I attempted to frequently use. I was, um, <laughs> you know, like I didn't yeah. have the money growing up to do any of that, but I knew about it. Um, so we ended up walking it within a month and uh, we ended up signing a lease like four, four, five weeks later. And it has been a journey. Yeah. It has been a journey. So we're talking no lights, no ceiling tiles, nothing like that in here. So, you know, uh, it was from the ground up. Everything was, was you know, put in by us. Um, and it's been good, man. It's yeah. been a blessing. Like, we talk about, we talk about you know, having 95 kids in your program. Now I got 14, 14 teams that come yeah. and train here. So, like, That's it's crazy. a little different. And, again, in my whole sense, to me, it's another level up. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, it's cool yeah. to say you coach collegiately and you do stuff. That's great. A 40-man one, you know, 41-man roster, I love influencing them. But if I can influence 9- and 10-year-olds up to 18-year-olds in my own facility, Absolutely. I mean, I think that's end game for me. I don't know, I don't know what, <laughs> what gets better than that. Um, and I'm sure my mind will start twisting now that I yeah. say that, right? But, but yeah, that's an end game thing is having your own facility and providing it in an area that you grew up in. Yep. You know, I could have probably took this south, north, anywhere demographic and financial wise. It might have been a little better, but uh, I know what it meant to me and I know what it'll bring to the community. So. Yeah, I remember, um, you know, when, when you first got this and we first came in, it looked like slammers. And so, so many memories just yeah Bro flashed like, yeah. Yeah, like i remember this or yeah, i hit yeah. in that cage or and, i did and these this cages and stuff yeah. like that but the way you've got it structured and the way you've got it set up now like it's a, it's a top-notch facility when it comes to baseball i try to make it that home vibe right yeah. like we talk about the counter we're sitting on man i i, I utilize this like as my my bar top like yeah. every family comes in or every kid comes in and it's like a different prescription of baseball they need yeah and uh and they enjoy it man it's really cool so that's our stories right why are we doing this, Bubs? Like, why are we, why did we decide to do this podcast? And what, what's our intentions right here? Let's let, let the people know, like, what do we want to get out of this? Well, my biggest thing is just our experiences, you know, trying to get that to the up and coming coaches, to the coaches that are in the game now at the high school, youth level, collegiate level. Like, I just think it's important that that some of our areas or expertise are, are voiced, yeah. in my opinion. Absolutely. You know, I want to make the game better from the grassroots, like dealing with nine-year-olds now, mm -hmm. right? Some of the issues you've had at the high school level, some of the issues I have at the collegiate level, like could could have been structured a little different when they were nine, Yeah, you know? And absolutely. I think that's important. Is that your take on it Yeah, also? absolutely. Like, I think impact, right? We talk about impact a lot, but it's, it's impact. If... There's a coach out there right now who's maybe doing, and we'll get into topics that we're doing, that we're going to go over as far as coaching, but if there's a coach out there right now that can take what we're talking about in baseball, in basketball, in football, whatever it is, and have a, a better structure for their teams, then I think we're doing a good job. 100%. And if we can address some issues along the way, right, like parent issues, official issues. Um, amenity issues. Amenity issues. Yeah, yeah like any, any, like practice issues right like i think um a lot of people get into coaching because they don't want to let go of the game right but i think what's lost in that is coaching is is a calling yeah coaching is a responsibility and it's not about winning um and i say that and, and people kind of get misconstrued. I'll, I'll i'll 
let me justify it. Anytime you're competing, it's about winning. 100%. Anytime that you are going to say, I'm going to go against or I'm going to verse, it's about winning. So the goal is always to win. But your purpose has to be bigger than that. Right. Your purpose and what you're doing has to be more than just winning a game. Because if all I've done is taught kids how to win, and let's say we don't win. Right. Because there's only one team that wins a championship at the end. And if you don't win, so what? You, you've essentially failed the athletes, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you just because of how you built that out, right? Yeah. Like, winning is like the carrot that we're dangling. I Some coaches take that route. My biggest thing is, like, what are you developing with the young men, you yeah. know, in order to win? Yeah. You know, in, in order to win. So I think this podcast will, will definitely have some topics and structures regarding that, just from our experiences. Also get some feedback from some, some cool coaches. I hope we bring some great, you know, top-of-the-line guys that have been around our profession for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to come and talk and get some insight regarding that also i think one thing it's not you know i I don't want this to be or to come off like we know it all no and (laughs) we're we're telling everybody out there like this is how you should do it like i'm still learning so i'm still coaching right Right. Uh, uh, even though i'm an athletic director now what i've done is i've moved to the private side of coaching and i'm coaching quarterbacks on the side and i've got about four clients right now that i'm working with one's in high school uh, starting quarterback and um it's a different it's a different deal right because sure. it's a lot it's a lot nicer to be honest because those kids want to be there that's the biggest thing right <laughs> yeah. like me on the club side right yeah. essentially they're walking this is a destination spot they're showing up here because they want to yeah. be here you know but but what does the coach do with the the kid who's playing because mom and dad are, are making them play right. or dad are making them play or whoever's making them play doesn't really want to be there how do you you still got to coach that kid. 100%. You got to give the same amount of love that you would uh, the guy that's throwing five touchdown passes a night. Yeah. You know, and I think I think that is very important, and it's been a part of our journey. Yeah. Because we've had all of those. Yeah. All of those issues. Every story off the boat that these, any coach that's out there with, we've probably been through something similar. Absolutely. Yeah. And 20, 20 years or 40 years between us of coaching experience, you at the, at the collegiate level and, and at high school, you know, like, I, we hope that whoever's listening can take something from it. Right. If, and maybe if you have some questions, you, you can give us some questions. Yeah, some just feedback. shoot us some emails. I love all that type of stuff, man. I know, uh, I know it, it's just about talking about our journeys. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'd love to hear some feedback from some guys on their stuff. But, but just know our bottom line is, is just, just to create a good culture for everybody that we're trying to surround on the, on the team side of stuff. Let's make Colorado athletics better. Denver, if we're going to be more specific, let's make Denver. But I know we, we're going to have an audience that's – outside of denver um that's our passion right because that's where we grew up but right let's make it better 100 percent, man let, all, all the way through parents let's be better coaches let's be better i, I love it <laughs> i'm excited yeah me too it, the journey's on the road let's do this I, I'm, I'm in it let's go man let's go brother. Hey.